A true disciple is somebody that has denied themselves, taken up their cross, which speaks death to their personal agendas, and followed Jesus. See, if you lack the fear of God, you're going to get out of sync with what God's doing. Because the fear of the Lord is the key to wisdom. You're going to serve who you fear. If you fear man, you're going to end up serving and obeying man. If you fear God, you're going to serve God. I pray that you would be a great force of righteousness shining brightly in these last days to the world of influence that God has called you to. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? That's it. Come on, how are we doing this morning? Who's ready for God's word this morning? Amen. Awesome. Hey, I am so glad to be back with you guys. Uh, as you know, we've had quite a week. Tuesday, we came back from Arizona. And we were plus one. Some of you have seen little Charlie. So thank you guys for all your prayers as we... Uh, adapt to new life going forward, which is a very, very exciting thing. Now, we wrapped up our Live For Him message series last week, and I had a plan for where we were going next. But I think many of you know what the Bible talks about when it says about us making plans. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says that in his heart a man plans his course, but it is the Lord who determines his steps. So what I'm saying is that I had a plan for our next message series but the Lord impressed upon me a different plan. And how many of you know his way is always better than our way, right? Amen. Yes. So today we begin a brand new three-week mini-message series on living in the fear of the Lord. Most of you know we are to have faith in the Lord. Most of you know we are to hope in the Lord. And most of you know we are to love in the Lord. But I bet that many of you have not heard much about how we are to fear the Lord. And therein lies the greatest problem and the greatest challenge of our day. There is little to no fear of the Lord. And this is exactly what's wrong with our country today. There is no fear of the Lord. This country was founded on God, and yet look how far we've fallen. Look around at our culture today. Sin is excused, sin is tolerated, and sin is even celebrated. Why? Because there is no fear in the Lord. And when there's no fear in the Lord, there is chaos. When there's no fear in the Lord, there is no limit to evil. And when there's no fear in the Lord, then anything goes. Sadly, it's just as the prophet Isaiah said, what's evil is called good, and what's good is called evil. Now, I know what I'm about to say next may make some of you uncomfortable. But we're not here on this earth for our comfort. We should always speak the truth in love. And that's exactly what I will always strive to do. And there is no subject that is off limits to God. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light, and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. 
We are seeing this happen in our society now more than ever. There are many who call evil good and good evil. There are many who prefer darkness over light or bitter over sweet. Woe to them. Abortion is called choice. Woe to them. Pornography in all its forms, and there are many, is called entertainment. Woe to them. Homosexuality is called an acceptable and alternative lifestyle. Woe to them. Pedophilia is called sexual orientation. Woe to them. Child sex trafficking is called big business. Woe to them. The gospel is called offensive. Woe to them. Political correctness is called essential. Woe to them. Gender is called having an identity or a preferred pronoun. Woe to them. Listen, God made them male and female. The end. That ought to be the end of this incessant debate over gender and all its related ridiculousness. Amen. Amen. But when the Bible is not the moral standard that it should be, evil will be called good and good will be called evil. And speaking out against any of this could get you canceled, could get you labeled as a bigot, as a racist, legalistic, intolerant, or it could even someday soon be illegal. I could go on. But the bottom line is that there's no fear of the Lord. That's the diagnosis of America. There is no fear of the Lord. And don't think for a minute that it's just those unbelieving heathens that are outside the church. No. Sadly, our churches are full of those who really have little to no fear of the Lord. Statistically speaking, there is very little difference in the lifestyle between those living in the church and those living outside of it. Because many in the church are actually living their lives as if God didn't even exist. They're indulging in many of the same kinds of behaviors and many of the same kinds of sin that those outside of the church do. Why? Because there is no fear of the Lord. This is the root of every problem. This is the root of every fall, every sin. There is no fear of the Lord. In Romans chapter 3, verse 9, Paul tells us that all people are under the power of sin. If you're taking notes, that's your first blank. All people are under the power of sin. Why? Why is that? Well, verse 18, he gives us the answer. Because they have no fear of God at all. Oh, let us all be men and women who fear the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we need you. We need you now more than ever. And we pray for a fresh anointing of your presence today. Show us, Lord, what the fear of the Lord is so that we may live in it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now, when I first started studying fearing the Lord, it really baffled me. I was really confused, and I asked myself several questions. Why should I fear him? Why should I fear him? I thought that I was to love him. And what does the fear of the Lord even mean anyway? And why haven't I learned this already? That was a question that plagued me for a long time. Why have I not learned this already? I've been in the church my whole life, and it seems like all I've mostly heard about is his wonderful grace, his mercy, and his amazing and unending love. Now listen, I never want to take away from any of that. I never want to do that. His love, his grace, and his mercy are absolutely amazing 
and awesome and true. However, without the fear of the Lord, it is an unbalanced view of who our mighty God is and what he desires from us. It's an unbalanced view. And so what we're going to do over the next three weeks is we're going to unpack the fear of the Lord together. We are going to lay out the what, the why, and the how of the fear of the Lord. Today we're going to answer the question, what is the fear of the Lord? Next week we'll answer the question, why is the fear of the Lord important? And our third and final week, we'll answer the question, how do I fear the Lord in my everyday life? That message will be an incredibly practical message that'll tell you what does it mean to fear the Lord in your everyday life. Now, I can promise you this. If you internalize what the Holy Spirit is going to share in this series on living in the fear of the Lord, it will revolutionize your life. It will. Hey, Jarrett, can you do me a favor, buddy? Could you turn down that thermostat right there on the wall? to like 65 or something. Anybody else hot in here? Or is it just me? Yeah. Let's turn it down. <laughs> this is by far my favorite subject in all the Bible because to me it is the richest and most fascinating subject of any that I've ever come across. I'm incredibly passionate about the fear of the Lord. And I hope you'll feel that too as you see some of the hidden truths that I'm going to share with you about the fear of the Lord. Now, the scripture that really spoke to me and crystallized this whole idea for this message series, it came from Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So if you've got your Bible, I ask that you please turn to Acts chapter 9, verse 31. That's the fourth book in the Bible, right after John. You don't have a Bible. We've got them here on the bookshelf. You can follow along on the screen or your, your mobile device. But what's interesting here is a lot of times when you think about the fear of the Lord, we think Old Testament, right? Oh, that's God in the Old Testament. Ah, that's the Old Testament. Well, look at this. We're turning right to the New Testament, right out of the gate. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. And remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So what he was in the Old Testament, he still is today. So here we go. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit it increased in numbers. It was the fear of the Lord plus the Holy Spirit that caused the church to grow. Now, there are a lot of things that Luke could have said here about the church. He could have said God's grace. He could have said God's love. He could have said God's mercy. He could have said all kinds of things here, but he said living in the fear of the Lord plus the Holy Spirit. That's what caused the church to grow. Isn't that amazing? That was true for the New Testament church then, and it is true today. Unfortunately, the fear of the Lord is a subject we don't hear a whole lot about today. But it's absolutely essential. If you're not living in the fear of the Lord, then you're not truly living. Because living in the fear of the Lord is the only way to truly live. Now, when I first started studying the fear of the Lord, I did what many people do, and I simply associated the word fear with being scared or being afraid. And that's not an accurate representation of what the Bible truly means when it refers to the fear of the Lord. Now, let's look at two passages which can be very confusing. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. I thought we'd just knock these right out right in the beginning because I know some people may struggle wait a minute 
If I'm supposed to fear the Lord, why does the Bible tell me I'm not to fear? Right? That's what these verses say. First Tim, or First John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And then 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We are told over and over again in the Bible to fear God. And yet we see in these two passages what appears to be a contradiction, right? Right? You guys there? Anybody there? Okay. Just checking. Well, the Bible never contradicts itself. We simply have to dig in a bit deeper and pray for the Holy Spirit to open our eyes anytime something like this occurs. And if you look up 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, and you study it in the context, you'll see that the fear that John is talking about is actually the fear of punishment on the day of judgment for those who do not have the love of God in their lives. For those who belong to Christ, there is no fear of judgment. There's no fear of judgment because Jesus was sent to be our propitiation for our sins. In other words, Jesus satisfied completely God's wrath by what he did on the cross. He paid our sin debt in full, right? By what he did. So if you have Jesus, if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, then you need not fear punishment. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't fear God. It means we don't fear punishment. It just means that if we had a true salvation experience by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we surrender our lives to him, then we need not fear punishment. Now, as for 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, don't confuse the spirit of fear with the fear of the Lord. They are very different. And we'll soon see when you truly fear the Lord, you will fear nothing else. You hear me? You'll fear nothing else if you fear the Lord. No amens on that? Amen. Okay. Now, Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I love this. This tells us what we must do to understand the fear of the Lord. Listen to this. My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord. And you will gain knowledge of God. You want to understand the fear of the Lord? Listen. Treasure his commands. Tune your ears. Concentrate. Cry out for insight. Ask. Search. Seek. And then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Are you with me? I know this is tough to grasp. I've been wrestling with this for years now, and I'm still wrestling with it. But it is so worth it. It's interesting how many times I've read right over the words, fear God, fear him, fear of the Lord, in the Bible. And did you know that it's actually written in both the Old and the New Testament hundreds of times? Several years ago, I started circling the word fear every time I I came across a reference that was pertaining to fearing the Lord. And it's incredible how many times it's actually there. I hope today, now, when you go and you start reading your Bible, that you'll start to see it too, because, man, it's everywhere. Just start in Proverbs chapter 1 and start reading, and you'll see it. You'll see it. Now, I've done a significant amount of research on this subject, 
And I cannot even begin to tell you how many commentators that I've read that simply equate the fear of the Lord with a respect or reverence for the Lord. And this is far too simplistic of a definition. And it's also incredibly incomplete. There is so much more to the fear of the Lord than just respect or reverence. Now, respect and reverence, those are true. That is part of fearing the Lord. But that's not all. And I'm going to prove it to you as we explore the scriptures together to explain what the fear of the Lord is. And what better way to understand what the fear of the Lord is than to open our Bibles and let the Bible speak for itself. Amen? So that's what we're going to do. You're going to get a lot of scripture today, okay? I hope you're ready. Bring it. I love it. Bring it. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. When you have knowledge, you've got the facts. You know all kinds of information. But when you have wisdom, you have discernment, and you can understand how to apply that knowledge that you have. That's the difference between wisdom and knowledge. But see, when you have the fear of the Lord as your foundation, then you've got both of those. You've You've got both knowledge and wisdom. Now, if you don't have the fear of the Lord, then let me tell you, you've got a very lousy foundation. You have a foundation that will not last. It's like building your house on sand, and when the storms come, it washes everything away. Everything should be built on the foundation of the fear of the Lord. There is no substitute for the fear of the Lord. There's no other foundation that's built to last like it. And until we understand who God is, we cannot have true wisdom. Do you hear me? We've got to understand who God is. I'm so sick of all this self-help stuff that's out there in the world today. I could come in here and give you a really good, feel-good message about how to make yourself better. But that's not what we're here for. We should be understanding who God is. That's what it's all about, is Him, period. Not us, Him. And believe me, your life will be better the more you know him anyway. That wasn't in my notes, by the way. It was good? Okay. Just, it, just, it just came to me. So, also, if knowledge does not lead us to surrender our lives to Jesus, then what is the point? What's the point of knowledge if it doesn't point you to Jesus? If we want to be smart and understand what life is all about, then we need to fear the Lord. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So it's the beginning of wisdom. In other words, it is the starting point. The fear of the Lord is also the knowledge of God Himself. Any other learning is worthless unless it's built upon the Lord Himself. Now, a big problem today is that the world wants to redefine God to its image rather than for it to conform to his image. Why? Because the world doesn't fear God. That's why. Now, in uh, an article that I found on gotquestions.org, who's been there? Gotquestions.org? Cool. You found some answers, didn't you? Yeah, there's a lot of answers at gotquestions.org. Here's the article. How is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? This was the article title. Here's the quote. Too many people want to tame God into a non-threatening nobody. 
But if we redefine the Lord as a God that makes us feel comfortable, a permissive buddy who exists simply to bless us and give us what we want, we will not fear him in the way he deserves to be feared. The Lord God Almighty is far greater than that, and the fear of the Lord begins when we see him in his majesty and his power. And that is good right there. So what is the fear of the Lord? It is the knowledge of God. That sums up what we've talked about so far. It is the knowledge of God. Now, when we fear God, we realize that not knowing him is more important than anything else in this life. Are you still with me? Okay, let's go deeper. Isaiah chapter 33, verses 5 through 6, it says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. He will be a sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. What is the treasure? What's the treasure that he's talking about? What is it? God's wisdom, that's part of it. It's, what is it? Salvation, that's part of it. The knowledge, it's actually the Lord himself. He's the treasure. He is. He is. The Lord is the treasure. And when we fear him, it's the key to unlock knowing him, having salvation, having wisdom, and having knowledge. That's what it is. Man, that is so cool. Who wants the key to that treasure? I do. Sign me up. Psalm 33, verses 8 through 9, it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Who? All All the earth. Not some, all the earth. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. He spoke and it was done. The whole world, all of creation. Wow, think about that. It wasn't some big bang where complete disorder exploded and suddenly, magically, there was order. Man, I was thinking about this. How could I illustrate this? Imagine if I went to the store and I got a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle and I stuck it in a five-gallon bucket and I just shook it all up and I took this five-gallon bucket and I dumped it out on the floor and magically, every piece fit right in its perfect place to form this perfect mosaic of a picture That is the same likelihood that the Big Bang was what started everything in the world. Can you believe that? And yet we still teach that to our our students at school today. I remember that when I was in seventh grade. And I was that little kid that was like, well, I don't understand. Well, why about, where where did the Big Bang come from? Who, Who did the Big Bang? I just kept asking questions because it's so ridiculous. And yet we still teach that today. Crazy crazy it wasn't evolution where hundreds of thousands of years we as humans we just magically just evolved from sludge or slime into what we are today another thing that's still taught today no all of creation was a direct result of god's spoken word so the fear of the lord is for us to be in awe of him it's to be in awe of him have you ever just stopped you're just stopped everything you were doing and thought about how awesome and how magnificent God is? Yeah? Good. Well, I encourage you to find more time to do that. To just be still and get alone with Him and think about how awesome and how mighty He is. Because that's what it means to fear the Lord. 
to be in awe of him. Sometimes I think we can be too casual and too comfortable when it comes to our relationship with God. I really believe that. And listen, God wants a relationship with you. He loves you. He loved you enough to send his son to die for you. Of course he wants a relationship with you, but he's not your buddy. He's not your buddy. He's not the man upstairs. He's not the genie in the bottle who comes out to grant you three wishes. He's not some grumpy old man in the sky who's always angry and he's ready to throw a lightning bolt at you every time you mess up. He's not some cool dude that when you you can just be whoever you want to be around, like, what's up, God? He's not your buddy. He's the Lord God Almighty. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Lord of Heaven's armies. He is the beginning and the end. And He is more powerful and more amazing than my words could ever convey. Whenever God appeared to men in Bible times, the results were always the same. There was an overwhelming sense of awe and wonder and terror and an awareness of their sinfulness. Now, let me give you just a few examples. When God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, Moses had to hide his face. He could not even look at God. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 3, when Abraham encountered God, he fell on his face to the ground. In Numbers chapter 16, verse 22, when Moses and Aaron heard the Lord speak to them, they fell to their faces. When Isaiah encountered God, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. The holiness of God made them see their own sinfulness. It made them realize how sinful they actually were. In Revelation chapter 1, John says that when he saw the Lord, he fell at his feet as if he were dead. Because this is what happens when we encounter a holy God. We are driven to our faces. Where do you see that today? Are we on our faces in absolute awe of him? Do we worship him like he deserves? You know, I was listening to a message yesterday that I can't wait for my son to hear, and it was Pastor John Bevere, and he was talking about how he had this opportunity. This isn't in my notes either. Just God just said, just bring it. So uh, just bring it, right, Tina? I heard it. So he was talking about um, having to go and t- speak at this special function in Brazil. And there were like thousands and thousands of people that were showing up for this event. And he was amped up and excited because, he, he, you know, this was in Brazil. This was like they had the, the off-the-chain worship team, you know. They could just so talented, bringing all the music and all this stuff. And then the more he sat there, listen, he realized, he's like, the presence of God is not here. It is not here. And he was sitting here struggling like, I don't understand. Why is the presence of God not here? They've got this great worship team. There's thousands of people here. And the more and more he heard this, the more and more angry he became, the more and more upset he became until just before he was about to come up. The uh, announcer said, was getting ready to introduce him. He's like fuming mad at this point. So he comes up after they introduced him. He gets up at the podium and he just sits here like this. And he stares at everybody for like 45, 50 seconds. Imagine how awkward that would be if I just sat here in complete silence and looked at all of you. But that's what he did. And he, then he started to ask them questions, and it really had to do with the fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord wasn't present. And if the fear of the Lord is not present, God's presence isn't, isn't there either. Now, we know God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, right? 
but his revealed presence, you know, when he, you actually feel it through his spirit. That's something altogether different. And that's what Pastor John Bevere was talking about. That's what was missing in that arena at that time when he came up there. So he preached 60, 75 minutes on the fear of the Lord. And I can't even begin to tell you what happened next. There was weeping. There was people getting saved. There was just, it was amazing, the mighty move of God. And he, and he was describing it as like, at one point he felt the presence of God and it was like a, a wind that went through. And, and I'd love for you to hear him describe it versus me, but it was amazing because that wind was so powerful and he wasn't the only one that experienced that. All the other people did too. It was a move of God. That stuff can happen when there's the fear of the Lord. That's what I'm saying. So what Pastor Vivere was bringing us all down to is there's a certain level of reverence. There's a certain level of respect that we should have when we get before God, right? We don't come to him as, as if he's our buddy and we're all casual because he's the Lord God Almighty. All right, so where was I? Good night. Oh, Jeremiah, here we go. Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 39 through 40. And I will give them one heart and one purpose, to worship or fear me forever. Now, in this translation that I'm using, the word is worship that they use. But if you turn to the King James or New King James, they will use the word fear because worship and fear of the Lord are one and the same. That they can be interchanged. So to worship or fear me forever for their own good and for the good of all their descendants. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them and I will never stop doing good for them. I will put a desire in their hearts to worship or fear me for they will never leave me. The fear of the Lord is also to worship the Lord. You see, God places that fear in our hearts the moment we accept him as our Lord and Savior. It's there, but it's in seed form. The question is, do we cultivate those seeds in our lives? Are we living in the fear of the Lord? When you fear the Lord, you will worship the Lord, and you will be on your face before him. Proverbs chapter 14, verses 26 through 27 says, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord gives us security. It gives us safety. It gives us protection. And we can be confident if we fear him. Then we can escape all the traps and the snares of the devil that he tries to bring upon us, right? That all lead to eternal death. And if we fear him, we need never fear anyone or anything else. Ever. The fear of the Lord is also a fountain of life. It is a fountain of living water that bubbles up within those who fear the Lord and we will never be thirsty again because he satisfies every need we have. You think of the woman at the well. You remember that story that he met, the Samaritan woman he met at the well and he's talking to her about giving her the living water and she kind of wants that too. It's that living water that bubbles up. It's never ending. It will continually satisfy if we'll just stay in him. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. This one's going to sting a little bit. Just warning you, this one might sting. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pretty simple definition, right? The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. This is incredibly significant. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Now, before I go any further, what is evil? 
What is evil? Sin. Sin. That's, a good, that's a good word for it. Did you say that? Thank you. Anyone else? What is evil? Everything that's not of the Lord. Yes, right on. Most people would think of evil as something morally wrong or sinful or wicked. But there's more to evil than just what's obviously on the surface. That's what I'm driving at. Evil is actually preferring anything more than God. It's preferring anything more than God. That's what evil is. Do you think I made that up? I didn't make that up. Let's turn to the scripture and let's let the Bible tell us. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. The prophet Jeremiah says, For my people have done two evil things. Actually, this is God speaking. Jeremiah wrote it down. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. So according to this scripture, evil is preferring broken cisterns to God. This is what evil is. It's when we prefer anything more than God. And listen, God is a fountain of living waters. Anything else compared to him is a broken cistern. And yet we see people, we see even us, prefer things over God all the time, especially sin. And here's some tough questions we should consider asking ourselves. Do we tolerate sin? Do we make excuses for sin? Do we, in our, do we entertain ourselves with sin? Do we glorify or celebrate sin? Are we being desensitized by sin? Listen, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. That means we should hate sin because sin is evil, right? You said it. No, you said it, right? You said evil is sin. And when we sin, we are preferring whatever it is we're doing more than God. That's what it comes down to. So listen. If we do not hate sin, then we do not fear God. If we do not stop practicing sin, then we do not fear God. Because to fear the Lord means we hate what he hates and we love what he loves. God hates sin. He hates evil. But he loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins so that we could be set free from evil. We don't need to be in bondage to sin anymore. Sin never satisfies, no matter how much it promises us to. So the fear of the Lord, as the word says, is that we must hate evil. And if we hate evil, we're not going to partake of it. We will actually depart from it, which is what Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 says. It says, fear the Lord and depart from evil. So here's what's going on. In our life, when we encounter sin and we're walking towards sin, If we take these scriptures to heart that we hate evil and that we depart from it, we turn around and we go the other way. That's what it means. We don't sit and entertain ourselves with it. Believe me, that TV that we all stare at, a lot of us anyway, that we look at, so much evil can come through that. I'm not saying the TV itself is evil. I'm saying what we allow coming through it can be evil. So we don't stay in sin. We should never be comfortable entertaining ourselves with sin. And much of what we allow our eyes to consume, if we're honest, is evil. So we need to depart from it. Hate it like God hates it. A life in him will satisfy us more than anything in this earth. Now, Proverbs chapter 23, verses 17 through 18. Do not let your heart envy sinners, 
but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. To fear the Lord is to hope in the Lord. And we are to keep our eyes fixed on that hope. And the world, man, it is so full of distractions, and that's the key mission of our enemy, is to distract and to deceive us from that hope. The fear of the Lord, man, that's what keeps us focused. Hebrews chapter 6 says that hope is an anchor for our souls. Without this anchor, we are tossed back and forth by the waves of the sea. And we're drifting aimlessly away from the truth that sets us free if we're not careful. And what happens is, is we then try to find fulfillment or validation from others or from things or our circumstances become our focus. The fear of the Lord keeps us anchored and provides us hope. Psalm 115, 11. All who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. The fear of the Lord is also to trust in the Lord. When we lack the fear of him, we don't really trust him. And we often try to trust in others or especially in ourselves, don't we? Rather than him. It seems like we try to find help everywhere but in him. Or we're simply not patient enough to wait on him. John Bevere in his book, The Fear of the Lord, Discover the Key to Intimately Knowing God, he says this. He says, The fear of the Lord is not grasped by the mind, but etched in our hearts. It is revealed by the Holy Spirit as we read his word. It is one of the manifestations of the Spirit of God, and God will impart it to the hearts of those who earnestly seek him. So speaking of the manifestations of God, and the Spirit of God, rather, Let's look at this. It comes from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. It says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch. Who's the new branch? Jesus. Amen. Bearing fruit from the old root. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. This passage is a foreshadowing of the promised Messiah. The new branch that is bearing fruit from the old root as we said, that is Jesus. And it highlights the sevenfold spirit of God that rests upon Jesus in all its fullness. You guys know how I feel about the number seven, don't you? I love the number seven because it symbolizes completeness, fullness, perfection. The sevenfold spirit of God. What is it? Number one, it's the spirit of the Lord. Number two, it's the spirit of wisdom. Three, the spirit of understanding. Four, the spirit of counsel. Five, the spirit of might. Six, the spirit of knowledge. And seven, the fear of the Lord. So to sum up the scriptures that define what the fear of the Lord is, here's the ground we covered today. I know this is a lot, isn't it? Are you letting it sink in? This is the ground we've covered. The fear of the Lord is, and we went through all the scriptures for this, the foundation of knowledge and wisdom, the beginning of wisdom, the knowledge of God himself, the key to the treasure of him, which holds salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. It's to be in awe of him. It's to worship him. It's a strong confidence. It's security. It's a fountain of life. It's to hate evil. It's to depart from evil. It's to hope in the Lord, to trust in the Lord, and it's the manifestation of the Spirit of God. Now, I'm not going to claim that this is an exhaustive list of the fear of the Lord, but I hope this gives you a thumbnail sketch of what the fear of the Lord is. And so that you too can go on your journey and open the Bible and let God speak to you as to what the fear of the Lord is.
Now, while I've given you some definitions of the fear of the Lord right out of the Bible, what I want to do now as we close is to give you some practical definitions of the fear of the Lord to apply what we just learned. So, the fear of the Lord is, it's simply taking God seriously. He keeps his promises, so we are to obey his commands. Amen? Amen. The fear of the Lord is an, is an awareness that you are in the presence of a holy, just, and almighty God, and he will hold you accountable for your thoughts, for your words, and for your actions. This is really important. Accountability is key. Just because you and I, who have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, doesn't mean we get that get-out-of-jail-free card and we're not held accountable. There's a difference between, right, this whole thing with judgment, and we know who's going to be judged and who's not. Our sins are paid for by what Jesus did on the cross. So we're not going to have to answer for that. But we are going to have to answer for what did we do on, with, in this life with what God gave us. We are going to be held accountable for what we said, what we did, or what we didn't say, or what we didn't do. Amen? Accountability is key. Pastor and author John Bevere, he says it this way, the true fear of the Lord is to be terrified to be away from God and away from his presence. Yeah, because the fear of the Lord doesn't make you run away from God. It makes you run to God. Charles Von Hammerstein said this in his book, Where is the Fear of God? Losing the Treasure of the Lord. I love this. The fear of the Lord is our call to return to the Lord himself. Not for what we can get, but because he is the beginning, the source of all we hope for and desire. The fear of God is that instinctual driving force, that call of our spiritual nature beckoning us from, all, from seeking after our ways to return to him. It's the fear of the Lord that drives us to him. It's the fear of the Lord that guards us and keeps us away from sin. So we become holy because he is holy. We cling to him because it was his precious blood that redeemed us from a life apart from him in hell. And we do all of this by living in the fear of the Lord. That's the key to the treasure of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth in your word. Sometimes it's not always easy to hear, but it's the truth nonetheless. I thank you, Lord, for the richness of the fear of the Lord. Help us all to walk and live in the fear of the Lord, just as your New Testament saints did when that church just exploded in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. I pray, Lord God, that you would encourage us, that you'd strengthen us, that you'd give us a relationship with you that is deeper and more powerful, more meaningful than we've ever experienced as we grab hold of this concept of the fear of the Lord in our lives. I pray, Jesus, if there's anyone here who's not made the decision to make you Lord and Savior in their life, that today they would make that, that decision today. I pray, Father, that others who maybe are walking in ways that are less than desirable to you and are doing things that are counter to your word, I pray, Father, that the word of God would convict them. We know that your word says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And so if any of us are indulging in some kind of sin of any kind, we know, Lord, that your word tells us that you're faithful and just to forgive us of that sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we'll just confess it to you. And I pray that today would be that day that we let go of those things and we turn to you. And we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So if you need prayer, I'm here. There'll be others up here to pray for you. Thank you so much. Week two, next week, we're going to talk about 
Why is the fear of the Lord important? So today you learn the what. Next week you'll learn the why. God bless you. Thank you. Have a great week.